Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Last Friday, the stars of the movie Oppenheimer, which is released today, gathered in Leicester Square in London for what should have been a glittering premiere. We are going to be joined by director Christopher Nolan, his producing partner Emma Thompson, and one of the most star-studded casts I've ever had the pleasure of announcing here in London's Leicester Square, including Rami Malek. It was an unusual scene. The Barbie pink carpet that had been laid up for the last big premiere was hurriedly rolled up and replaced by a sombre black one instead. But just as things were about to begin, something remarkable happened. At the same time as that kind of transition from the light, fun fluff that is Barbie to this kind of very serious film about nuclear bombs unfolded, at that same time, it emerged that negotiations had broken down in America between the actors' unions and the studio representatives, which meant that a strike was imminent. Before the movie began, Christopher Nolan gets on stage, he's the director, and he tells the gathered audience that the actors are on their way out to, quote, write their picket signs. So then all the actors stand up from their seats in their ball gowns and, and walk out, and there it is, the Hollywood strike has begun. extremely difficult in the new Hollywood. It's just, it's different. The streaming, you know, the, the question of residuals. A residual payment is every time something is repeated. Now with streaming shows, it's endlessly being repeated. You know, we're still streaming, succession still being streamed. And we need to cover the expense that, that, that we are not getting for, from that. 160,000 actors went on strike, joining over 11,000 writers who'd already walked out back in May, resulting in the first industry-wide shutdown of Hollywood in 63 years. There's money being made and, and it needs to be allocated in a way that takes care of people who are, who are on the margin. So why have Hollywood actors gone on strike? We'll hear from one of them. And if the dispute isn't resolved soon, what might happen to the TV and film industries in the months to come? 
You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why Hollywood shut down. I'm Richard Schiff, and I am an actor, and I have been a director. When I was on the West Wing for seven years, which the English audience might know very well. Okay, Mr. President, we're going to have someone take you back to bed. No, no, no. Sit, sit, sit. One of you's got a problem. I'm here to help. You guys are like family. And just a lot of people in this country, as you say, you know, loved the West Wing. This very long series about the White House. And you, you of course, played the legendary Toby Ziegler. So tell me what the problem is, Toby. Sir. Sir, uh, the situation basically is this. I arranged for a friend to testify to commerce on Internet stocks while simultaneously but unrelated to that bought a technology issue which, partly due to my friend's testimony, shot through the roof. Toby. Toby, Toby, Toby. I think the first show was in 1999 when Bill Clinton was still president, and then it, it, it ran until 2006. It was quite a perfect storm of luck, of, uh, of having very talented people given the opportunity to express themselves to their fullest potential. And Richard, we're talking to you today because actors in Hollywood have decided to go on strike. Did you vote to strike last week? Yes. Yes, I did. And tell us why. Well, the issues have been growing for quite a while. And it started way back when video cassettes, in which actors received a certain percentage to split amongst them as uh, video cassettes were sold and resold and rented and so on back in the blockbuster days. Yeah. And then technology changed and then it went to DVDs and actors got a lot less of the money that was taken in from the DVDs by the studios. And now we've gone into streaming. And when we came up to negotiate a contract, when that became the next technological advancement, it was claimed that the studios had no idea how this new technology was going to ever be monetized. And so nothing was done back then. So we're way, way, way behind. And studios are, are making money, as far as we can tell, hand over foot, and becoming gigantic corporations while reducing the compensation for actors more and more and more as time goes on. Now, just, just explain to us how that works. I mean, for example, for you, what is the difference between, say, you and The West Wing and you now in one of your current series like The Good Doctor? Are you being paid differently? How does it work out? Yes. Well, the, I, I need to uh, disclose and be transparent in that this strike isn't for me. You know, I, I've done well. I've been lucky. I've been on hit shows. So the strike isn't for me. It's for it's for when I was a, a middle class and struggling actor. Yeah. It's for the actor that's struggling paycheck to paycheck. So back in the West Wing days, you know, we would be compensated because the show would rerun on network television. And there was a certain fee that we received, a, a royalty, every time the show aired again on network television, and then it was sold to cable. And then as it moved on to streaming, um, we got less and even less because 
studios claim that they have no idea how to measure how many people are watching, and therefore there's no formula to determine how much actors should be compensated. I mean, just to give us a sense of, of the difference, are you still getting residuals from the West Wing, and, and, and how do they compare with what you're getting for a series like The Good Doctor, which is on streaming services at the moment? Well, this is what's interesting, because the, the studios devised a way of negotiating contracts that eliminate residuals almost completely. So they include a buyout in my basic salary. So say I'm getting $10,000 in a, in a salary, right? Just arbitrarily. And I would have gotten maybe two to $3,000 an episode in residuals over the first three or four years that it reran at somewhere. Hmm. Well, the studio is saying that those two and $3,000 is going to go to them. And so they basically, <laughs> for an actor that's struggling and finally has a hit show and is contributing to the making of a lot of money for the studio they're not getting compensated for residuals anymore or, or barely at all. And it used to be a scenario where residuals would trickle in. It's like deferred payment, you know, and, and so retired actors rely on residuals. Yeah. And the studio continues to make money off of that product, and the actors are getting a very small percentage. So in the old days, it acknowledged that every time that show was you know, seen again, every time it was repeated, and every time the studio made money from it, part of its success, part of the reason it was being seen again was because of the actors who made it. And now it's as if the studio owns it all once you're, you're, right. you're done with it and you get nothing more. Yes, exactly. I can see why that would go down badly, especially as, you know, you point out, it's a great retirement plan for, for actors too. It's a steady stream that comes in. Keep in mind, actors that don't work all the time, when I was starting out and struggling to get work, and I would get a, a part on a show that set aside you know, three months for me to work on the show for scale, which is not a lot of money. In the meantime, I'm not allowed to take other jobs, and I'm not allowed to supplement my income, and I'm on call yeah. any day of the week you know, for, th for three months. You know, that's the issue. It's the actors that are really struggling to make it and to survive on the jobs that they do get. And when they get a job that contributes to the success of a show, of a studio, of a network, it's only fair in our mind that they get compensated properly for it. And Richard, the other cause is AI. Just talk us through how that's playing out and what the concerns are for actors. Well, we're trying to understand the, the potential of AI in, in the first place. And it's very clear to me that AI isn't going anywhere. But certainly acting, which is your presence, what you bring, your soul, your blood, your tears, all of it uh, to a role, you want the actor, the human being, to, <laughs> to represent the character that you've been asked to play, right? Not some artificial creation. And AI is capable of cloning me, of taking my voice. Not only that, but on a creative level, I'm already somewhat upset, if you will, for lack of a better word, at how capable films and televisions are to alter the performance that I gave them on the day, right? And with AI, they can literally, and they want to do this, they, the studios want the power to change words and to change lines and to change your expression. And so they want complete rights over the work that you've given them. 
it's mind-boggling to me, just on a creative level, forget the economics for a second, that they can change what I do without suggesting it on the day. Yeah. They can make me cry if, I, if they want to, or they can make me laugh when I don't think the laughter is appropriate at that moment. How does that feel? Well, it feels like I should go back and do some theater if I want to maintain control <laughs> of, my, of my own performance. No, it, it feels invasive. And it feels like uh, you've lost the power to interpret the work, which is what they've hired me to do. Yeah. You know? And Richard, does anybody know how far this might go? I mean, like if, if they own the AI right to you effectively, could they make a sequel of the film without you just using an AI generated version? Well, they've, they've done that, haven't they? You know, going back to the tragic story of Brandon Lee, who was an actor that I worked with and who was tragically killed on set in the middle of a movie, one of those freak gun accidents, and they finished the movie. So yeah, they can take my image in perpetuity and use it for whatever they want. It would take legal action to stop them. But that's the kind of thing that they're capable of doing on a much grander scale. So for instance, background artists, who used to be called extras, the people that are that fill up the hallways of the West Wing yeah. and are constantly in the background. The studio wants the ability to pay them for one day and then use their image in perpetuity wow. for wherever they want. So the background of that show, the background of another show, you know, that's the kind of thing that AI is capable of, eliminating a whole class of actors that are in the unions. That would make it much harder for a lot of young actors in particular, or, you know, actors who don't get that much work to survive. No, exactly right. And Richard, you mentioned that, you know, the studios seem to be doing really well. I guess the studios would argue that streaming just isn't as profitable for them as the old cable and network TV system was, and that they're not making as much. You know, Netflix actually declined in profits in 2022 for the first time that, you know, people cancel their subscriptions when they want to. Do you have any sympathy for that? Yeah, I have uh, a certain understanding that the business model has to work for everyone. But uh, let's keep in mind that Netflix was a titanic success for uh, the last 10, 12 years, right? Mm. So the fact that there's too much competition right now and that they have to adjust to that is understandable. But I don't think how much they compensate actors is the biggest factor this model has to evolve into something that makes sense, more sense for everyone. Hmm. So Richard, I can see there are obviously a lot of problems that have led to this strike. What do the actors need to hear now? What do the studios need to offer for the strike to come to an end? Wow. I, you know, years ago I was in the negotiating room and I know how difficult that scenario is. Both sides clearly are willing at this point to wait until the other side suffers too much. I'm hoping that they get to that conclusion in a reasonable amount of time, but I don't have confidence that that will happen. I think it's going to last for quite a while, maybe to January. Coming up, what would happen if the strike really does go on for that long? Our arts reporter explains how a previous Hollywood strike reshaped both American TV and history as we know it. That's in just a moment. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. My name's Constance Kampfner. I'm a reporter at The Times. And you're covering a particular beat at the moment. Yes, I am covering arts and culture. So anything from music, film, theatre, museums, a little bit of architecture, the whole rigmarole. And Constance, we've been hearing from an actor who has gone on strike to understand their side of the dispute. But what about the studios? What are they saying? I mean... They argue on streaming, first of all, that it's benefited actors and writers by making it essentially easier to earn an income even on shows that have been cancelled or were unpopular. They are also saying that they are proposing very strong guardrails on artificial intelligence and they claim that they've addressed the union's concerns. They kind of disagree on what the propositions that they'd put out there for extras actually involved. They say it's been mischaracterised by the union's. But clearly that hasn't done anything to bring the unions on board. No, and it's it's really hard to kind of see how you can agree on something that is kind of almost quite theoretical at this point. On the one hand, you have the unions trying to kind of look into the future and project their fears and concerns and act now. And on the other hand, you have the studios and the big Hollywood executives saying that they're, they're being slightly sort of hysterical, if you were. Their, their jobs are not currently at risk, so everything's fine. I mean, given just the, the huge difference in how both sides even see the dangers of AI and what's coming, it's very hard to see how they're going to agree anytime soon. And we are now already a week into this strike. We don't know how long it might go on. What's been the impact so far? I mean, in terms of what should be happening in in Hollywood, what's already been affected? So this week saw the start of Comic-Con, which is this huge gathering of comic book fans from around the world. They get super dressed up and they go to San Diego to meet their favourite comic book artists and writers. And normally, some of the big Hollywood stars that, you know, star in the Marvel adaptations of comic books and that kind of thing. This year, uh, some of those big stars haven't turned up because of the strikes, because not only, you know, is acting off the cards, it's everything that goes alongside the making of a movie. So it's the promotions, the premieres, interviews, 
So it's been much less of a star-studded sort of event, which, to be honest, for some comic book diehard fans is a bit of a relief. They can get back to basics. We also had the first major premiere this week where no big stars turned up. There's Mickey and Minnie in their Halloween-inspired outfits here in New Orleans Square. So it was a Disney film, Haunted Mansion, and the premiere still went ahead, but instead of stars like Tiffany Haddish and Jamie Lee Curtis turning up on the red carpet because they were striking and staying at home, instead Disney brought out kind of theme park characters to waddle, <laughs> waddle down and, and do the rounds, which was pretty strange. And there are various Disney villains rotating for photo ops as well. I'm not sure that's what the crowds came for. And Constance, what about the broader impact of these strikes? I mean, I guess we won't be seeing any new TV or film content for a while. Yeah, I mean, within a couple of months, you'll notice that new content kind of dry up unless we see an immediate resolution to the disputes. So already ABC is going to be showing a lot more reality TV and game shows in the autumn, things like Celebrity Wheel of Fortune and Dancing with the Stars. Instead of new scripted content, we have blockbuster films that we could be expecting next summer, like Deadpool 3, that could be delayed. So essentially, you feel the impact first on late night TV, then on TV shows and then on films based on their kind of various lengths of production timelines. And Constance, will we be seeing the strike playing out here in the UK as well? I mean, are actors here on strike? No, it's really interesting. In Britain, we have a law that forbids what we call secondary striking, so striking in support of other strikers. So unlike in Canada, where actors are going on strike oh. in support of their American counterparts, it's actually illegal to do so in the UK. So Equity, yeah. the Actors' Union, will be kind of staging some events to show solidarity and that kind of thing, but they cannot call a strike in solidarity. Could they call a strike because they're also feeling the effects of streamers and, and the pressures of, of potentially of AI? Absolutely. I mean, collective bargaining agreements in the UK are far weaker. You don't have to be a member of equity to perform in British films or TV shows, which means that their impact is often pretty limited. That doesn't mean they can't call on, and they, they might, but you won't be seeing the kind of far-reaching implications in the same way as you do in Hollywood. And Constance, this is a historic strike. I mean, we haven't seen an industry-wide strike like this since 1960. We have had a writer strike more recently, back in 2007, 2008. That went on for 100 days. And there was a real impact on Hollywood and how things played out. Just remind us of what happened. Yeah, so, I mean, if we cast our minds back, George Bush was still president the last time the writers went on strike. And it was between November 2007 and February 2008. The main thing then that writers were worried about was their work being shared online. I mean, for the first time, people could buy episodes of TV shows or films, maybe via Apple. They could watch them on their iPods. And there was this then relatively new concept known as streaming. And back then, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers wanted essentially to be able to stream content without paying the writers any more money. They were arguing 
basically that streaming was a separate thing and it was just kind of promotion. You know, we're here at the base of the Die Hard building, so I guess the slogan of the day should be yippee ki motherfuckers. <laughs> Mike Scully wrote that for me before I came up here. I guess that technically makes him a scab, but let's give him a break. By the time that strike was over, the unions had won the right to a piece of some of those digital profits, but not before the strike took a $2.1 billion toll on the LA economy. It also had quite an interesting kind of cultural impact. There were so many bizarre moments. I mean, chat shows coming on air, but suddenly there were no writers and they just had this like completely different feel to them where hosts had to find new ways of filling airtime by basically just winging it. One kind of bizarre gag was um, this host called Conan O'Brien, and he just had this running thing where he would spin his wedding ring on the table and try and see how long he could get it to spin for. He even invited in, like, physicists to try and give him tips. Susie? 28 <laughs> I mean, it was maybe not the best era for TV. The most noticeable thing that happened during those 100 days was the rise of reality TV. I mean, some of the reality TV that came about during this era was truly terrible, and it was just made essentially to fill the airwaves. So you had shows like My Dad is Better Than Your Dad. Ready? Set. Go! Where dads would be tested on their strength and their intellect. And a more familiar show that took off during this time was The Celebrity Apprentice. Welcome to your first boardroom. Mayor Bloomberg had a great time. He liked both Frankfurters, but ultimately, it's how much you sold the cats. With some potentially big implications for the future of American democracy, Donald Trump's main show, The Apprentice, had kind of been hemorrhaging viewers. But suddenly these desperate TV commissioners leapt on the idea of doing a celebrity apprentice like um, the one that had been running in the UK. And suddenly Trump was all over people's TVs again. Like that. The fact is you spelled her name wrong. Dennis, you're fired. So I suppose we'll never really know just how much of an impact that strike had on the future of America full stop, really. But particularly on on the industry and on American culture, you know, you do start to see the impact. What do you think the impact of this strike might be, given that it includes both writers and actors? How might this change the industry in the future? Yeah, I mean, studios thought they could weather... Writers striking just about okay, but I mean, the two groups going on strike at the same time, it is hard to overestimate how devastating that could be for Hollywood, especially if this drags on and the issues involved are thorny. First of all, 
economically speaking, the impact could be huge. Forbes has estimated that the Hollywood strike could cost the US economy up to $150 million a week. And some people are predicting that the total cost, depending on how long this drags on for, could reach three, even $4 billion. But money aside, as we've seen before, there could be other kind of cultural consequences, what it is that hits the zeitgeist during the strike sort of remains to be seen. But new media forms are likely to kind of be pushed even further into the limelight. So actors are still allowed, for example, to record voiceovers for video games so we could see some pretty big stars maybe lending their voice to that. They can record podcasts and audiobooks. They can make branded content for social media. So again, we could be seeing more of that as their attention shifts to other ways that they could supplement their income and keep their profile high. And then I suppose just to broaden out beyond Hollywood, every single industry right now, especially this year with the rise of ChatGPT and other AI models, is having to contend with these questions. You know, what protections should be in place for workers in every industry? Journalism is no exception. And so what happens in Hollywood and whatever concessions writers and actors are able to win for themselves, if any, could ripple out and see themselves reflected in legislation around the world, potentially. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the actor Richard Schiff and the arts reporter for The Times, Constance Kampfner. If you're a subscriber, you can find all of Constance's reporting on this historic strike at thetimes.co.uk. And if you'd like to dive deeper into the world of AI and the rising threat of deep fakes, then do tune in to Stories of Our Times on Monday when one of our reporters tests if an AI version of herself can trick her mum. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel and Hannah Varrell. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by Ben Sims. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend. Listener.